Today's podcast is brought to you by Elenco Animal Health and Kelly's Finance. Hello, I'm Kerry Lunigan. Welcome to The Weekly Grill. Regular listeners might recall me saying to a number of our guests that they have a pretty tough job, like trying to run MLA or get a dividend out of AAK maybe. Our guest today fits the description very, very well. He is trying to build a dam in Australia. From a company called Bowen River Utilities, or BRU, let's welcome John Cotter. John, good morning. Good morning, Kerry. Pleasure to be with you. John, uh, why wouldn't you try something easier than building a dam like becoming a professional bull rider? (laughs) I think the uh, the two are pretty similar these days, Kerry. (laughs) I don't know what should be harder, but where and how did this idea start to build a dam, a substantial dam in North Queensland? Uh, Kerry, um, a few years ago, I um, set up a, a, a essentially a family business to invest in ag, and we took a position in two commodities, uh, water and phosphate. Um, our view was that water was really being forgotten by um, governments, and particularly the long-term uh, economic impacts from them. So we set out on a bit of a journey to make water more affordable, but also make it financeable. And so over time, what we found is that essentially by building us and they will come, um, there is attractive returns for ourselves and our investors in, in building new water infrastructure, particularly bulk infrastructure. And particularly where it rains, I guess, which brings us to North Queensland. John, whenever dams are mentioned in relation to the tropical north, one can't help but Think of the uh, famous or indeed infamous Bradfield scheme. Is this, what you're talking about? Is this a mini Bradfield scheme or anything like that? Yeah, there is obviously. You know, people um, have different variants on what the Bradfield scheme's been over time. But essentially, the transfer of water from the north to the south is is still a premise that is being examined by uh, Professor Garno at the moment for the state Queensland government. We are in the general catchments, we're in the Burdekin catchment, so between uh, Collinsville and Mackay. I guess, you know, we did a, a scan of Northern Australia five, six years ago as part of the Developing the North and the competitiveness of, uh, of ag white papers that were released. And we settled on an area where the actual water infrastructure is between existing infrastructure. It's highly perched in the rain to get coastal rain, um, but the river system actually goes inland. Uh, and then circles all the way back around past Collinsville down into the Burdick and, and, the, and the lower um, system that comes out the air. So a variety of reasons for that. You you want to tap virgin great black soil country um, where you can get economies of scale for new crops, but you're away from that seasonal cyclone risk on the coast. And obviously then all the normal engineering, hydrology, uh, things that come with that, including the opportunity to make cheap energy. Um, which is what we're doing with the largest clean energy battery in Queensland. That's associated with with the dam, of course. So, so that you dam the Urana River, I think it is, isn't it? and then you build a pipeline to Moranbar. Is, is that the project in a nutshell? Yeah, we're, we're on the uh, Broken River system, um, which flows into the Bowen, which then becomes the Burdekin River. We're about about 200 metres above sea level, Kerry. So, being what's called highly perched, we're able then to get water down to industrial customers. Uh, down in the in the Bowen Basin, um, but also then service uh, ag customers around Collinsville. 
it, the, one of the big things that governments look for when they're assessing these sort of dam projects is they want people to buy water on day one. And that's just not the case in North Australia. It's not the case um, anywhere, really. And we took the view that in the long term, more industries would come because that's what building nation-building infrastructure across Australia does. If we don't tend to do great national projects anymore, do we? I think the last one was probably the Snowy River scheme. But look, what's the size of your proposed dam in gigalitres? Or oh, beg your pardon? Yes, gigalitres. That's the term, isn't it? Gigalitres. Yeah, Kerry. Um, so we're, we're just shy of 1,000 gigalitres. So we, we ran a couple of different options. 1,000 gigalitres. And it, the reason that we, we settled on that is it yields 100,000 megalitres of high-priority water every year. So getting a dam that's optimised to deliver uh, a lot of water consistently is the real trick, and that's how we can make it financeable, and that's what's made it attractive to a lot of institutional capital. So what's what's the size of the dam in hectares? How much, how much space will the water cover? Yeah, well, we're, we're pretty uh, proud of the work we've done here, Kerry, because if you look at you know, um, some of the big dams in Australia are very shallow. So like Burdekin Falls Dam is um, 1,700 gigalitres and covers, you know, some 60,000 hectares. Our dam is 1,000 gigalitres and covers uh, around 4,000 hectares. So we've been able to reduce our environmental footprint uh, quite significantly. But, you know, lo and behold, it's just a good idea to build a dam where it's deep and we've got lower evaporation rates and hence higher reliability. I'm assuming it's naturally deep. You didn't have to dig or, or is, uh, that's the natural topography of the area? Yeah, it's pretty steep country, Kerry, um, which is which is what you want. And the, the dam site, it, I mean, it was identified in the 50s as just a, as a, as a good dam site. But, you know, successive governments over the, uh, I suppose over the last 50 years, you know, as a general comment, we've sort of, forgotten how to take greenfield risk in government you know like we'll always build a road and then we'll build it a bit wider um but actually going into virgin territory and doing something like that it's just it's scary and that's the opportunity we've seen is to actually lead the way now so in an age where government you know used to exist to address market failure we're, we're in now the age of the market addressing government failure which i find quite fascinating and John, what's the annual rainfall over the catchment area and where does it flow now? So the, the average rainfall for the area is about uh, 500 mils, so about half a metre of rain a, a year. Um, but as I uh, was sort of talking about before, being quite high in the younger range, you can get up to a metre, a metre and a half of rain just turn up in the month of December. So our approach has been to harness those um, big seasonal storms, uh, create that storage. What we've actually found, Kerry, is by slowing the water down and, and creating a smaller footprint, we've been able to see significant reductions in sediment loadings heading out into the Great Barrier Reef. So it's, it's quite an interesting sort of environmental exercise now to say that we now live in a world where dams are, are going to start helping the environment um, through the right uh, management and the right position. So how much water usage is available for irrigation? So the predominant um, sale of water out of the dams, about out of the 100,000 uh, megs, so after environmental flows, there's about 70,000 megalitres of high-priority water allocated for agriculture. And so, so how many hectares would that irrigate on an annual basis? 
So we've run our, our numbers on a minimum of 7,000 hectares. Um, we've identified up to 40,000 hectares of land that can be converted across over the next 150 years. We suspect that, you know, as most of these things occur, when the water is there, um, people will start seeing the opportunity. And again, to that investor market across Australia, Kerry, if you, if you talk to your big Canadian pension funds and the like, you put uh, water available to good land something that size is just simply not available in our country. What sort of crops would you grow? I know it's mostly sort of black soil country up that way, isn't it? What sort of crops would you grow? So we've run a, a series of different models to then, you know, look at market conditions now and into the future. The soil's uh, actually good for uh, macadamias, mangoes, uh, lychees, things like that. So we've sort of built up our numbers around a, an escalation from sort of perennial crops and then um, heading into trees over time. So in the next year or so, we're starting to conduct some trials up there with different plant species. Yeah, we're, we're very comfortable with the quality of soil in the area for a range of different um, markets. Time for a break from uh, On The Grill. Back in a moment after this quick message from our sponsor. Akatak Duo Star from Alanco provides knockdown and residual control of cattle ticks and ivermectin-sensitive parasites. Applied early in the season, Akatak Duo Star reduces the build-up of the tick population and helps to prolong the life of effective chemistry. Give ticks and worms the flick with Akatak Duo Star. Always read and follow the label directions and ensure good agricultural practice for optimal parasite control. We're back on the grill with John Cotter talking about building a dam and a power station in northern Australia. Now, the hydroelectric power station, where will that sit and how much energy will it produce? And will it be just for your local use or will it go back into the grid? The pumped hydro is located over two uh, areas. And and pumped hydro, for those listening, is is slightly different to just a dam. It's actually two dams pumping water between each other. So at night time, when you um, when everyone turns their lights and the washing machines on, we want to turn the pump hydro on, which is essentially letting water out of the top reservoir down to the bottom one through a turbine. Um, so we have two of those, which will generate about 1.4 gigawatts of um, what's called dispatchable energy, and that will go directly into the grid, Kerry. And that's about making energy available to your big industrial customers like you know your refineries around Gladstone that don't want to pay market spikes like we've seen over the last couple of months. So to complement that dispatchable energy, uh, we've got um, 1.2 gigawatts of solar and about 500 megawatts of wind. And being highly located, highly elevated in the in the territory there, our wind resource is very valuable. So essentially through those cheap energy sources, we can then pump water back up the top and then deliver that energy into the grid when it's needed. And we're only 15 kilometres from the national grid uh, in Renewable Energy Zone 2, so it's actually a really fortuitous spot for for energy to be produced into areas that need it. You've got about three local government authorities I can count in the area, and of course the state government. What's uh, Do you have a level of support, firstly, from the locals? Uh, so the Greater Whitsunday... Uh, Alliance, which is um, Isaac, Mackay and the Whitsundays have just been tremendous in their support for the project. And I guess, you know, it sort of speaks to the nature of what that region is. Yeah, there's a lot of miners up there, but, you know, at the end of the day, they want their sisters, mothers, fathers 
to stay in the region, have a job in ag, and also look to the future. You know, so there's another couple of hundred years of economic resource in, in, you know, good quality metallurgical coal up there. But people want diversity in their jobs. They want um, the long-term change that solid agricultural production can bring to bring people back into the schools, into the hospitals and those types of things. And the locals get it, you know. So, you know, we've got some 30,000 people have, have registered their interest and support for the project. And we'll see that. Uh, come out when we advertise our environmental impact statement next year. Now, it all sounds hunky-dory, John, but you're bound to have some hurdles, and I I know you all see these coming, but first, the environment and the various impact studies you will need, uh, which reminds me of a a remark made once by the former leader of the Nationals, Michael McCormack, in relation to dams. I've forgotten the exact quote, but it went something along the lines of, wherever you want to build a dam in Australia, someone will find a frog. And by that, I mean your EISs in this area will attract every damn opponent from all over Australia. They're very, very noisy, and I've little doubt when they arrive up there, they will find a lot of frogs. We haven't gone into this half-hearted. We've spent some $30 million just getting the project ready for public submission. We've done about um, four years of pretty solid study, and we've you know, almost undouble the work that's normally required for an environmental impact statement. In terms of the things that um, conservation groups are concerned about, um, there's a couple of species there that are not rare and threatened, um, but they're they're of significance to to you know the nation. And so, what we've managed to do is find uh, habitats in and around where our infrastructure is going. We've managed to avoid most of them, which is what the federal and state governments want you to do. Um, where we do have an impact, we are not only obligated, but we just see it as the right thing to do. We've got significant offset strategies. So what that means, Kerry, is where we have um, you know, turtle populations, we've managed to find habitats that are very suitable for them. We've started pig eradication programs to get them away from their eggs, and it's the ability of the infrastructure to then support those long-term environmental outcomes, we've been very much top of mind from the get-go because it's not just the, the green groups that want that. The locals want to see that you're doing the right thing, and we've never shied away from that, Kerry. And I think that's the, you know, people generally on the street are concerned about the environment, but they, do, but they want to hear that it's not completely ridiculous and it's not anti-progress, but they want to know that you're doing the right thing to support the balance in the environment. John, also here in Australia, of course, and I'm sure you're aware of it, an almost philosophical denial of dams. Here we are in the world's driest country, a country the size of Australia, and we must be among the least dam countries on the planet. Uh, you, you acknowledge that there is a almost automatic naysayers in government about dams? Oh, absolutely. And I, and I think we've got to take a point in time. Australia is still, in my view, a developing nation. Like we are, you know, America in the mid-1800s as far as water and rail infrastructure in this country goes. We're, we're infants. And if we're trying to apply the, the level of consciousness we have in society about, um, you know, our, our, our environment and the market, that's what's slowly led to people not taking the big projects and the big risk anymore. Now, what what we've seen, Kerry, and, and I'm going to go down the rabbit hole here a little bit, what you've basically got now is an economic framework in government to assess all infrastructure 
on basically 30-year benefits at, you know, a very high discount rate. Now, in reality, anyone in the bush knows that if you're building something for 150 years, like a dam, which is the national guidelines for, for how you should design dams, the impacts you can't fully forecast. You know, you look at places like Tinaru up in the Cape in Cairns, you know, do you think that dam envisaged that refrigerated transport would be here one day? So you've now got producers at Lakeland shipping mushrooms to Melbourne. You can never forecast the, the benefits, but those regions that have had secure water supply have had sustainable population growth, have had good social amenity, all of the things that government ends up paying for anyway. So we need to rethink the way we're looking at these projects for the benefit of everyone in Australia. And it's a real frustration. I think there's starting to be some movement in you know, Infrastructure Australia and places like that that assess these things to go, you know what, I think we've got the system wrong. Time for a brief message from our sponsor, Kelly's Finance. Established since 1988, Kelly's Finance Group have the finance solutions when it comes to agribusiness lending, from property loans and livestock funding to machinery and vehicle finance. They are the experts in arranging finance on behalf of their clients that not only ensures market-leading interest rates, but more importantly, financing that is suited to your agricultural operations, not your lender's bottom line or their preferred security position. With access to an array of specialist and traditional finance providers, there's no job too big or too small for the Kelly's Finance Group team. Contact Kelly's Finance Group today for an independent and confidential discussion and how we can add value to your business moving forward. We're back on the grill with John Cotter talking about building a dam and a power station in Northern Australia. Do you have a cost-benefit analysis done so far or is that to come? No, yes, we've, we've finished that, Kerry, and that's sort of where I was going with uh, with the economic assessment. So our benefit-cost ratio is, is above one just for the dam and it's significantly higher when you look at all the aspects. But as I said, that's based on 30 years of benefits for an asset that's going to go for 150 years. So you just inherently know that the framework governments have designed um, naturally work against building infrastructure like this. So we've had to be um, very clear and using very rigid standards to actually point out that there are these additional benefits over and above our cost-benefit ratio that we publish formally. I'm uh, I'm trying to think where you might get labour from up there to build a dam, but Collinsville won't be mining, I suspect won't be mining coal for too much longer, so that's a possible source of labour and it's close by. Um, well, I think Collins will be mining coal for a while yet, Kerry. Um, there's um, Q Coal do some pretty good work up there along with uh, with Glencore. But I, I have to admit it's, it is good to build infrastructure in a region where there's a lot of big yellow bits of gear and, and people in high vis shirts. So um, what I'll be keen to see that comes out of the job summit recently is, you know, what other labour can we bring in? You know, in, in my game, we used to rely on a lot of Irish and South African and English engineers, um, particularly in you know process engineering, civil engineering, things like that. Um, we need them back. You know, there just simply isn't enough of those those caliber of people um, floating around to actually build the infrastructure we need in Australia. 
John, a couple of big questions and two parts. Firstly, how much? And secondly, who pays? Who's interested in funding a dam in northern Australia? Uh, yeah, so Kerry, we've got a total uh, capital spend of about $5.4 billion. The pumped hydro, solar uh, and wind, um, we're in pretty advanced negotiations with a foreign uh, sovereign fund, which is the largest renewable energy um, fund in, in the world. Um, they've actually got a project under development in Victoria at the moment. Um, so we're very excited to, um, we'll be announcing a, a binding framework with them next month and that commits them to around two and a bit billion um, in capital development. The irrigation scheme will be the last element, but we're in a range of talks with a lot of the ag funds um, that you've had on your podcast spoken about before. And as I said, you know, dropping that volume of uh, land and water into the market, we we have already been approached by, you know, people that want to stream those sort of commodities um, straight into foreign markets. So we're, we're very comfortable on the profile of that. The water infrastructure is the hardest bit. And this sort of goes down to the level of return that comes out of that is not typical of the risk associated with this type of business. But what we've seen in the last sort of 10 years is that there are no sort of big annuity businesses that produce a, a consistent sort of 8 9% return for, the, for 100 years coming to the market. And so what we've seen is institutional capital, you know, has, has been knocking on our door saying, well, when you get this to approvals, we'll... we'll the in and the dam itself is about uh, 1.04 billion, and then there's a pipeline on top of that at about 234 million. Um, but that's underwritten, obviously, by some pretty strong counterparties in the in the mining industry, and obviously with our ag um, output from there. So, essentially, Kerry, we're developing a power station and a dam on behalf of the state of Queensland. Um, the operators will will be, you know, your government-owned corporations, and so. When we front up to places like Queensland Treasury, they sort of look at it and go, well, this is essentially a public-private partnership that you've pulled together for us and we're going to walk away with some assets in the long term as the taxpayers of Queensland. This is a good idea. And, you know, we, we, we genuinely stand by that, that our, our approach is working uh, with government. So at the moment, though, we have a Norwegian sovereign wealth fund um, willing to invest in a dam in Australia. It's certainly better than a Saudi sovereign wealth fund, I suspect. But uh, what... What's the time frame here, John? When do you start? When do you break ground up there? And what's the what's the time frame for the development of the irrigation and the power station, etc.? Yeah, essentially it's over the next 10 years, Kerry. Um, so our environmental impact statement is with the state of Queensland at the moment. Um, they um, will give us permission to advertise to the public um, shortly. That process will capture supporters, detractors, people with genuine concerns, and we go through and address all of that and release our final environmental impact statement uh, next year. And then the state and federal governments will hopefully see what we've said in terms of mitigating the impacts as, as suitable and issue us an approval towards the end of next year. We're working on a financial close in 2024, which would then see construction start to move uh, thereafter. The dam and pumped hydro number one would uh, run from sort of 25 through to 27. Uh, pump storage two would come on around 2030 with the um, timing of uh, of Calloid, um power stations starting to shut down and wind and solar coming on around the same time. John Cotter, as mentioned, uh, building a dam in Australia is a very, very tough gig. John, you have a mountain to climb and the very best of luck. Thank you very much, Kerry, and thanks for having me. And thank you for joining me today. Until next time. 
I'm Kerry Lonigan and this is the Weekly Grill brought to you by Alenco Animal Health and the Kelly's Finance Group.